The number one benefit of incorporating is asset protection. How do you achieve that? You separate your assets. So asset protection equals asset separation and vice versa. I'm not telling everybody to buy 10 properties and put each property into its own LLC. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying that the more you separate the eggs in your basket, the better protected those eggs are. Hello, hello. My name is Abel Pacheco, and you're listening to the Five Talents Podcast. How to build wealth like the 1%. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast, how to build wealth like the 1%. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I'm the principal of Five Talents Capital. We're a San Antonio, Texas real estate investment firm, and we're actively invested in 1,500 doors of commercial real estate worth $115 million, much of which is right here in San Antonio, Texas, the Alamo City, baby. I'm also a fund manager, a capital allocator, and a servant leader who learned how to invest like the 1%. And on the Five Talents podcast, I enjoy helping others learn and doing the same. So if you're seeking investment strategies to catapult your family wealth and generate passive income, even in today's volatile market, this show is for you. Because each week we're bringing you interviews with PE firms, investment advisors, financial planners, tax strategists, VC funds, and many others who are highly skilled in handling money, good stewards of capital, and individuals who advise the wealthiest 1% on what to do with their money. So each show, we're going to provide you insights and actionable steps that you can implement to become a better investor. You're always going to learn something that you can apply in your own investment journey on the Five Talents Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. All right. Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco, your host for the Five Talents Podcast. We are super excited because we're talking about how to build wealth like the 1% with Tony Watson, the man, the myth, the legend. He's done some amazing things over at Robert Hall and for years, literally. We'll let him introduce himself and all the amazing things that he's done. But if you're one of those individuals that's trying to figure out how to unlock the magic entity structure of, of corporation, whether it's LLC, S Corp, C Corp, and how it involves your business, your taxes, most importantly, how to only pay what you should be paying and not a penny more. Mr. Tony Watson has some insight for us. For years, uh, he's been doing this and he serves a ton of clients of all different statures and sizes, You know, small entrepreneurs that are making 50K a year to some of the largest that are making $20 million plus. So he's got a lot of insight. We're excited to have him on the show. And Tony, just want to say thank you, man. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it and lo- looking forward to having some good, good discussions today. Yeah, dude, we're definitely going to help. So you're going to help a few people here. In your own words, why don't you give us a good introduction? Tell us who you are, what you do, and maybe how you got started, man. That'd be awesome. Sure. Right right out of college, I moved up a little bit north of Orange County, where I went to school, up into the LA, Glendale area. Started with my firm 18 years ago. This will be my 18th tax season coming up here in the next six months servicing a roster of about 1,200 tax filings per year. Our firm as a whole, about 11,000 tax filings per year, I'd say, across all 50 states. 
So we don't only service the California area. We service all 50 states and tax filers who have corporations, partnerships, LLCs, estates, trusts, and also individual tax returns. And we've been open since 1971. My bread and butter happens to be in the real estate and small business world, anywhere from the startups making 20, 30, 40, 50 grand a year, all the way up to the businesses that have been around for a while, making 15 to 20 million in revenue. I've seen a lot of movement over the last two and a half years, the pandemic years, a lot of people really ramping up and getting their money invested and putting their money to work in syndications and smaller real estate developments, even kind of seeing a feeding frenzy in the real estate market, even with the market values just through the roof. So we've been an intricate part in the building of wealth for our clients. And what what a lot of our clients feel like we do for them is to save them tax. And I always make it a point to let them know that, well, sure, I help you save tax, but more importantly, I help you retain wealth, right? Because that's the goal here. Sure, you might see it as saving tax, but I see it as us retaining wealth. I mean, you work very hard for the money that you earn. And the more I can save you in tax, the more you get to keep. So it's not always about how much you're paying in tax. It's about strategizing ahead of time and getting yourself to that obligation amount that because everybody pays tax, right? And some sort of tax, but we can get you through proper planning. We can get you down to an obligated amount and not a penny more than that obligated amount and help you retain wealth. Yeah. Yeah. On the show, we're, I mean, well, first of all, thank you again. This is awesome. It's good to know a little bit of, of your background and doing this, like you said, your 18th tax season. So you've definitely seen some changes, some opportunities, some obstacles, advantages, and various different clients of different sizes. So that's awesome. Then the flip side of it is, man, I heard, you know, retaining wealth where we're on the show talking about how to build wealth like the 1%. So we're trying to talk to building is one thing. You've got to take a little extra risk to build something. Once you have it, now you are trying to retain it. Maybe your risk or tolerance goes down a little bit and you're trying to figure out how to preserve it. And no matter what end of the spectrum you are building or preserving, there's a different strategy to employ across your portfolio. And we're, of course, real estate investors, Tony. We buy a syndication, well, syndication of large multifamily commercial assets. We're buying, you know, 10, 20, $30 million deals and we're pulling our capital together. We have a lot of investors that all leverage some things like cost segregation and a bonus depreciation, accelerated depreciation, things like that. So we'll dip into that in a minute. But we're doing a lot of those things because we're trying to create wealth on the appreciation side, and then we're trying to preserve it from some of our K-1s and the accelerated appreciation that we're trying to take advantage of. So that's a little bit about us. But a lot of our investors are in different things. You know, They're not only in real estate syndication, they're invested in stocks and bonds and mutual funds, and they're invested in LLCs and corporations and their own business entrepreneurship that allowed them to have some money to invest. So anyway, it's good, good to have you here. So you know, let's start there. Like out of the clients that you serve today, 1,200 or so, you know, give or take, I'm sure, higher some years, what are the patterns or the different trends that you see maybe from some of the most common, you know, the biggest, broadest number of clients that you serve? Who are they? What do they do? And maybe describe them a little bit so we can get it. Sure. Well, I can tell you one thing about the one percenter clients that I service uh, tax filings for is that the one percenter are planners, whether they do the planning themselves or not. I mean, if you have enough money, you pay somebody else to do the planning for you. Right. But the individuals who are making north of seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, W-2 income or businesses that are making in the millions of dollars in revenue, they are always planning. 
And I find that that is probably the one thing that is consistent at that level of income versus the latter, you know, the lower income individuals who are trying to build wealth, who are in that, who are in the trenches, you know, grinding every day, waking up at 5 a.m., making those calls, cold calling, door knocking, all of those things. So, you know, the one percenters, they really like a diversified portfolio. Sure, they have their 401ks, their IRAs. Some of them even have multiple retirement plans. So they've got the brokerage account IRAs or 401ks. Then they've got self-directed IRAs and solo 401ks investing in real estate within their retirement accounts. But I can tell you the one consistent investment that the wealthy have that the individuals kind of south of, let's say, 200 grand in taxable income have uh, is real estate. Real estate, real estate, real estate. I can tell you that right now, whether they actively participate in the real estate investments or not is a different story. A lot of wealthy individuals, they like to be passive in their investments because their main vehicle for revenue might be a higher in W-2 income through a software company or as a medical professional or whatever that primary payroll may be from or whatever industry that's in. They still take that wealth and they diversify the wealth into real estate, into the stock market, into bond investing, you know, whatever it is. And But I'll tell you, the one consistent investment at that level of income is real estate. And the questions that we get a lot is, well, now that I'm building wealth, now that I have this portfolio, how do I protect it? And if I put it into an entity, do I need to pay myself? And how do I pay myself? And what can I defer into retirement? And how do I shelter things differently? Do I need a living trust? I mean, it just opens up the floodgates for all of these very important and unique questions. That's a big part of planning and strategizing on the tax side. Yeah, that's awesome. Good, good purview, a good picture in from your side of the house because you you see it all good good bad and the ugly right i love to hear that the one percent are planners i mean they're just planning it out maybe let's take this bullet because this is a big one in of itself right they're either paying somebody else to help them do the planning their portfolio their net worth their liquidity maybe them as an individual their business or company or maybe a family office they're paying for planning or planning it themselves, planning in general, what maybe elaborate on that a little bit. What does that mean? Like, how does somebody plan this stuff out? How do you do that? And once again, the individuals who are, and and I don't mean to cut it off at $200,000 of income, but we're talking about the one percenters of the world that are, you know, 750,000 or a million dollars, which is the, you know, the qualified investor kind of threshold for income versus the individuals who maybe have one small W-2 and then they're married, they have a spouse that doesn't work. So that's not dual income households. Those individuals, sometimes I'll only speak with those clients once a year and that's to file their taxes. Whereas the one percenters, I talk to them, no joke, no overestimating here, more than 10 times throughout the year. Wow. And it's not always to sit down for an hour conversation to plan, but it could be through emails, questions about how to take advantage of accelerated depreciation on a business vehicle purchase, or they're talking about investing in a syndication or buying a new rental property or refinancing a property and utilizing the equity to purchase more assets. You know, a 10 touches throughout the year minimum for the one percenter clients that I have because they're always looking of creative ways to capitalize on wealth. But at the same time, they know the tax side is looming and it'll approach pretty quickly. So while they're capitalizing on their wealth and refinancing and utilizing debt to leverage, they're always keeping in mind that I need to talk to Tony. I need to talk to my tax guy to make sure that I'm doing it the right way, that I'm structuring things the right way for greater asset protection benefit, but that I'm also getting the best bang for my buck deduction-wise. Yeah. Yeah. That's- I mean, those are the 10 touches. I mean, that's pretty average for a high high income earner. 
Yeah. There's a, a red, either red flag or green flag for somebody that says, oh, you know what? Yeah, I do actually talk to my tax advisor and my strategist many multiple times. As you're saying this stuff, I go, I don't know if I talk to him 10 times. And then as you're listening, I go, oh, yeah. Every time I'm making a new, you know, creation of a new entity, every tr- time I'm thinking about where should I put it in my structure, the vehicle, the next play, the next move, I go, oh yeah, you know what, that, that makes sense. Or the red flag, if you're saying, well, I only do this once a year for taxes, then even just right there, we need to be, one of the words that Tony said was like, they're looking for their next investment. They're looking for their next move. They're trying to figure out the next implication. So that alone, you know, if you're not actively searching for and looking and seeking out guidance and strategy, that may be even an indicator, like you're not going to build wealth like the 1% because you're not doing what they're doing, right? Failing to plan is ultimately planning to fail. You know, yeah. that, that phrase goes really, really hand in hand with building wealth and retaining wealth on the tax side of things. Yeah, yeah that's it, man. So thank you for illuminating that. And then you also kind of said something through the process, or you had mentioned some of the top 1% are diversified in various vehicles. And we'll talk about the real estate because I'm I'm a fan, obviously. But what are some of the mixtures of portfolios that you see? Like how, you know, is it 20, 20, 20, 20? 20%? Is it heavily towards real estate? Do you do you see any trends that we might be able to learn from? So I can tell you right now that that the people who are are utilizing their wealth to invest in real estate, whether it be non-passive or passive investing, mm-hmm. they usually have their golden nugget already put in place. They have a wealth generating vehicle, either a business or even inheritance. I have some clients who, you know, a parent has passed and they've taken that wealth and they have their, you know, maybe a little W2 job over here, but the wealth that has been left for them, the legacy that has been left for them has been sheltered the right way after, gen, you know, generations of building wealth. And they've taken that wealth and they've capitalized on it to reinvest it back into what I consider to be the most consistent dividend paying asset you can park your money in, which is real estate. I wouldn't say it's always 20, 20, 20, or, you know, however you're going to split it out. I'm going to say that that it really varies. And you tend to see the older generations, you know, let's say individuals who are already into retirement, they've got their pension income coming in or the retirement income, let's say it's sitting at 100,000, 150, 200 grand in retirement distributions from 401ks, IRAs. They take that wealth and they're living off savings as well as retirement income, but then they take that wealth and they buy real estate or they improve property that they already have their money invested in or property that they've inherited. So in retirement, the planning is a little different because they have something called unearned income. That's their retirement income and it is taxed at ordinary income tax rates. But because it's unearned income, that means that they're not actively participating in anything to receive that income. They've already worked their whole lives. Now they're in retirement. Now they're drawing from their retirement plan. So we have a unique opportunity for the older generations, individuals who are already in retirement to really claim themselves as any kind of status for employment. So in retirement, even though people say, well, I'm fully retired, if they're taking their money and they're investing it in real estate, why would you ever put your occupation as retired on your tax return? You put it as a real estate investor. And that way you can utilize your real estate losses and deductions and things that you've kind of capitalized on, either reinvesting into your real estate that you already own or purchasing new properties, accelerating depreciation, taking into account the mortgage interest, property taxes, improvements. And those losses can help offset the retirement income that is unearned revenue. So they have a unique opportunity. 
the individuals who aren't in retirement, usually it's once again, it's that golden nugget. If it's a successful business that they own, or if it's a high paid W-2, it's all about leveraging that position. And the, the scenario can change depending on if an individual is single or married filing joint. For a single individual, if they make you know five hundred thousand dollars W two as a lender, you know for a lending institution, or if they're making five hundred grand as a contract physician, well, they're not real estate professionals, so they are limited to some of the benefits they can receive through real estate investing from a tax deduction standpoint because they're single and they only had you know they they don't have another spouse to use as a shelter of some sort when that individual is married whether it be you know however it's mixed you know a spouse is making 500,000 and the husband is self-employed has a small business not really retaining a lot of wealth on that end we can make the spouse a real estate professional and allow them to capitalize on the high earning income of the other spouse to invest in real estate and allow those losses to shelter against W-2 income. So the scenario really changes and mixing and matching incomes and different revenue streams really helps us better understand what kind of elections we can make on returns. The government says that based on 51% of your income, where is that coming from? That is really going to be the key or the base for our argument as to what kind of professional that individual is. Meaning that if I make you know five hundred thousand dollars as W two income as a tax preparer, and I only make you know let's say eighty thousand dollars in rental income, I can't claim myself as a real estate professional because fifty one percent or more of my income is tax preparation related, right? But if Mm -hmm. I'm married and my spouse doesn't have that sizable income, my spouse can invest in real estate with our joint income, and now my spouse's loss deductions and shelter deductions can offset my high gross W two income and save the joint tax return tens of thousands of dollars in income tax. So the planning scenario is different for each taxpayer. And I want to, just before we move on, I want to make sure everybody understands that just because your neighbor, your coworker, your family member, your friend, just because they did something in their world that helped them save tax does not necessarily mean you should copy and paste. Take that conversation to your tax advisor and figure out, okay, what did they do in their world that allowed them to receive this benefit? And how do I apply it to myself? Because everyone's yeah. tax return is unique. Everyone's tax situation is different. And that that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize. They'll go online and they'll see all of these benefits that this one person or two people had. They'll try to apply that to their own and they'll make crazy financial decisions throughout the year without talking to a licensed tax advisor. All of a sudden, they're in these investments that aren't saving them any tax and they're just essentially you know, money pits in some cases. But yeah, we are a big part of that discussion from a plan. Yeah. Approach. You illuminated a few things. So you need to talk to a professional. You need to go to somebody like Tony Watson and his team to help you uncover your current position. And then you need to highlight some of the plays or plans that you want to take in the future, get a little bit of strategy. And and an expert that does X number of thousand of returns for X number of 18 plus years to guide you through that. And that's one of the big things for me it was like an eye opener when I started. So we started investing in 2008 through the process. I thought I was the pro because because everyone around me had less houses than me. I had more, I had the most houses and people would ask me for advice and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Man, I wasn't near anywhere near the expert. The experts were telling me, hey, this is how the people with hundreds and millions of dollars do it. You're doing it all wrong. And, in, and that was like eight years. I put houses under my own name. And I never employed an LLC or seek or any of that stuff. So you have to engage the professional. You have to engage somebody that can really advise through the process. And that's what's helped us expand so quickly 
you know, to we're in 1500 doors invested now uh, across multiple deals, active and passively. And it's the experts telling us, hey, this is what others have done. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Abel, just go to the, the door marked 1% and let's keep hitting that door again and again. And no matter how long it takes, you just keep heading down this path. So, you know, reach out to Tony. We'll, we'll make sure he gets his contact information out here at the end as well. But you, you, and we'll have it in the show notes as well. So if you're looking at the podcast right now, it'll be there as well. So you mentioned something, a couple things, the way you described not to tell others to do the same. You need to talk to the tax professional. But when I was in W2, my biggest year was 300K W2 income. I was in tech. I was nowhere near the real estate professional making more than my W2. But my wife was able to leave and she was the one who became my real estate professional. She invested. We put cash in. We put 100K cash into a deal and we had 60 something thousand dollars of losses. She took the losses as a real estate professional because she was, and it helped me offset my W-2 taxable income. And we saved like, you know, $50,000 in taxes. And then I got all my W-2 withholdings for the year divvied out to me in a $30,000 check or something. It was an amazing swing, right? And had I not heard somebody say that, and I had not talked to our tax professional, I wouldn't have known even that was a play. That's what, that's what retired my, retired my wife the first year as we were investors. It was awesome. Big place, big place to save lots of money. And once again, just so everybody knows, we're not talking about a couple hundred bucks in tax savings here, or even a couple thousand dollars. We're talking about tens of thousands of dollars in taxes saved simply by adjusting your scenario, especially if you have the opportunity, married, filing, joint to utilize a spouse who meets that qualification and that election on the return as a real estate professional or a non-passive investor. On that note, people always ask me, how do I qualify to be a real estate professional? Does your team advise and guide people through how they can do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, there's a pretty specific set of guidelines to qualify as a real estate professional, but you know, everybody's heard the phrase interpretation of the code before. You know, I could tell you right now that even though some people might not have gone through a formal checklist, if you own 30, 40 properties that you manage yourself. You don't have to be a licensed agent to be a real estate professional, right? This is your livelihood. You've been managing properties for decades and you've built real estate wealth for yourself. There's no one, no one's going to argue with you about whether or not you're a real estate professional, right? Perfect. There are some scenarios where you just kind of automatically get kicked into that real estate professional status. It's not very often, but yeah, we, we, we definitely kind of handhold our clients through the process of making sure they check all the boxes that are necessary to be checked to qualify as a real estate professional. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Five Talents Podcast with me, your host, Abel Pacheco. And since you're listening to the show right now, I wanted to break for a moment to tell you thank you so much for subscribing and following the show. I also want to give you access to our simple wealth case study for busy professionals that we explain how we invested in $150 million of commercial real estate to generate passive income. So I'm sharing with you how I personally build wealth like the 1% and explaining how you can create passive income in real estate without having to manage it yourself. So do yourself a favor, take a moment now and go to www.5talents.capital. That's the number five talents T-A-L-E-N-T-S dot capital. And you can register, watch our video recorded case study, and we're going to give you access to our investment club as well. If you want to see like all of our next moves, every single investment move that we make, future investment opportunities, and even perhaps invest alongside us, 
go to our website now. We look forward to sharing more. You can register at www.5talents.capital. And we look forward to having you as part of the club. Another thing I'll pause and just highlight, you mentioned, you know, a lot of the investors that you work with, they have a a golden egg. They had an, an egg, a nest egg, whatever that was, whether it's through their W-2s for years, whether it's a business, whether it's some kind of capital gain exit within software company that they own an interest of, whatever that was, they took their active wealth, something that was created. I had to trade time for money or maybe the legacy part, but you know, somebody's got it created and they're putting a portion of it into the passive or active side in real estate. So they're deploying it across from one, you made it one area, now let's go diversify and a lot of real estate in the diversification. So I mean, that that's a good highlight, you know, for all of us. It's a good reinforcement for our plan. But through that, you know, legacy shelter, right? So if you're first generation, I'll say like myself, my dad's my dad was the first generation real estate investor. Actually, probably my grandma, they bought a single house. My dad bought a house and a rental. And we're in 1500 doors. So we're call us third generation, right? But my first and second generation in that real estate investor, there was not legacy wealth that was transferred. It was my grandparents' family of you know eight. And then my dad barely, he's still working. He's in his seventies, still working right now. So I would say our, I think our generation, God willing, will be the one that can pass down some legacy for our family for so that they can choose to work if they want to, right? So for those people that are in that transition, what are some of the actionable items that we can take today to make sure we're making the right moves for tomorrow? How do we do that? Gosh, well, I mean, diversification is key, right? If you are out there spending money on, you know, and I'm not going to tell people how to spend their money. I'm just going to tell them, I'm going to kind of try to lead them along the right path. But the most important thing I feel that the younger generations don't understand just yet. And I think that they will once they start to see all of the taxes that are taken out of their paychecks as they start to get paid more as they work longer in their careers and whatnot, is that you got to build a team for yourself. You have to build a team of real estate professionals, people who are actively looking for properties, know that you're actively looking for properties. Hey, here's a pocket listing that just came across my desk. Are you interested? Are you a qualified buyer? You know, always just check with your lender to see what you pre-qualify for to make sure that at any given time, you're readily available to pull the trigger to qualify for a purchase, to understand that the tax professionals of the world are there not to work against you. We're there to help you. We're there to work with you with 1031 exchanges, cost segregation elections, to do planning throughout the year to make sure that if you are in a position financially to leverage assets or leverage your income to qualify for a loan, to also let you know that, hey, this is how much you're paying for certain investment right now, but by doing, you know, by changing or moving around the pieces of the puzzle a little bit, this is how much, sure, it might cost you a little bit more to have it this way, but after the tax savings, you might be coming out of pocket the exact same amount per month. I do this calculation all the time, by the way, for people who are buying primary residencies, you know, individuals who are renting here, let's say in LA, they're paying $3,500 a month. They figure, how could I ever afford a $5,000 plus mortgage? Well, understand that $3,500 in rent that you're paying, you'll never see that again. Whereas if you move that $3,500 payment to let's say a $5,500 mortgage payment, and you are paying into a home that you own after the tax savings, it might drop you because of the tax savings to only coming out of pocket per month about $3,500. So now you're owning 
a home rather than renting, and you're still coming out of pocket the same exact amount, but now you own the asset rather than rent the asset. So we do those calculations. That's a big part of what tax advisors do is we map out those numbers for people you know, on the tax side. And then we have attorneys that they talk to about the legal structures and the entity structuring and whatnot, and the investors. You know, We talk to Abel about the syndication investments and whatnot. So it's building a team. You know, having individuals there and readily available to help and calculate these really unique calculations for you to better understand if you can actually afford certain types of investments and what that means on the tax side of things. How much is it going to save me? How much, what the cash flow am I going to pay if I buy this property outright and I'm cash flowing like crazy? Am am I going to start paying tax on it right out the gate? Well, no, after depreciation, improvements, closing costs, and things like that, probably for the first couple of years, you're going to be netting a profit in reality, but on paper, you're going to be showing maybe a break even or even a loss. And that might help you save on tax. That's why the greatest way to build wealth is in real estate. I can't even stress that enough. Real estate cash flow will never pay into social security, Medicare, state disability, unemployment insurance, employment training tax. It only ever has to settle up with federal and state taxation, right? But at the end of the day, the first couple of years, because of depreciation and usually mortgage debt and property taxes, improvements, travel back and forth, legal and professional fees, all of your startup costs for the property, even though you might be cash flowing in reality on paper, you're not paying any income tax on it. And that will help you significantly grow wealth. And then in the meantime, you're enjoying the appreciation and value of the property that you can leverage to buy more appreciating assets. It's a beautiful thing. Real estate is a beautiful thing. It's a little bit of an unfair advantage. You know, it's like, you're like, wow, they wrote the tax code like this. And the reason some of those tax codes are there is they employ, when I say they, the government, when they want something done and can't do it themselves, they're going to create some incentive for entrepreneurs to go do it. And obviously there's a shortage in housing. There's a, a lack of supply of housing across the United States. And when, when they want, hey, I want clean, comfortable, safe living environments for the general population, and they know they can't supply all the housing themselves, they create some incentives for somebody like us or our team or our investment, our syndicate, our group to go buy a property, put millions of dollars into it, renovate it, turn it around and provide that quality housing for others. And that's the benefit. It's you know, it feels unfair, but then on the flip side, we're creating jobs, we're spending a lot of money in the economy, we're putting money in materials and rehab, and, and actually it benefits our community, our tenants, our property, you know, the bigger economy as a whole, right? And that's why some of these are there. And what a lot of taxpayers don't realize is it will cost the government four, five, six X the cost to do something, whereas if they hand it over to the private sector to create more jobs for the US economy, it might cost the private sector, you know, five, six times less to achieve that same goal. We see it a lot in conservation easements. We see it a lot in opportunity zones. We see it a lot in syndicating investments where the government allows for these benefits for these individuals because they know that, hey, if we do it, it's not really creating jobs for the US economy, but if we give it and hand it over to the private sector and we give them tax credits for certain things, shoot, they'll create hundreds of thousands of jobs for the US economy. And guess what? Those jobs will pay income tax, which will benefit everybody. You know, yeah, that, that's the vicious cycle that people sometimes don't take a step back and see the yeah. macro view. They only focus on the micro view, but the macro view is always whatever we can do to create more jobs for the U.S. economy. That's good for everyone. Yeah, yeah. One of the first times I did my tax return, really leveraged an advisor, really helped me with it. I go, man, I don't owe any taxes. This is kind of weird. And they're paying. I'm getting money back. I don't owe, and then I'm getting my withholdings back. And they're like, no, no, no you're viewing it the wrong way. You're it's not that you don't owe any taxes and you're skating taxes. It's the fact that you have all these employees and all these people, they're paying a bunch of taxes. 
And now you've created a machine that pays a lot of taxes. So you as an individual on top of that corporation pays less taxes. And I'm like, oh, okay, I see the I see the view now. It makes perfect sense. Let's go do that. And we pay the machine we created pays a, pays a lot of taxes. It just it's just where does it flow? You know, down mm-hmm. too, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's awesome. Well, on that note, another question I get all the time, Tony, like, hey, they're investing in our syndications. They want to deploy 50, 100K of their hard-earned money. They want to go passive. I don't want to do the work. I want to give it to you. You take the headache of finding properties, managing properties, renovation. Just give me the the little bit of cash flow and I I want the appreciation at the end. The question that I get asked often is, do I need to put that in an LLC or can I do it under my name? Or how should I do that? And you know that that's I know it's a sensitive question. It depends on your out, you know, on your particular position. But maybe you can illuminate like how to even look at that if I'm an investor and you know give them some wisdom. So a lot of misinformation out there about entity structuring. There's actually really only one type of entity that can save you income tax, and that tends to land on the subchapter S corporation. The LLC, it is, it does exactly what its name entails. It limits liability. It's called the limited liability company. It's not going to save you any income tax. So when you start an LLC, it's not for tax savings benefit. It is solely for limited liability protection. And so because it lands more on the legal side of the fence, not so much the income tax side of the fence, a majority of those questions probably would be better answered by an attorney. But I can give you my my two cents of it without stepping over into another lane. I'll try to stay in my lane, which is the income tax world. Uh, I can tell you right now that a majority of investors that have significant wealth individually or who have built wealth individually through real estate investments, they want to enjoy the great benefits of liability protection under LLCs when they invest, meaning that they have a nice nest egg personally that's registered to their personal social security number. So anything else that they park their money and they want to separate that liability and risk from anything that they own personally. That's the number one benefit of incorporating, whether you're an LLC, C-Corp or an S-Corp the number one benefit of incorporating is asset protection. How do you achieve that? You separate your assets. So asset protection equals asset separation and vice versa. I'm not telling everybody to buy 10 properties and put each property into its own LLC. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying that the more you separate the eggs in your basket, the better protected those eggs are, right? We've all heard the phrase, don't put all of your eggs in one basket, right? And if you put all of those eggs in that one basket and something happens and somebody sues you and they're able to pierce through the top part of that basket and the basket falls, your eggs are going to break. Everything's subject to that that litigated scenario, right? Here in the state of California, it's very costly to have each investment in its own entity because California charges you this nasty parking ticket, which is a minimum of $800 per year for parking your business in the state of California. Some of my 1% clients, they don't care. $800, it's a cost of doing business. They pay it. They want each property in its own LLC, each investment in its own LLC, so that everything is separate. From a preparation standpoint, it's great for us because we know how it all works and the cost of preparation might be a little bit more expensive, but they can go to sleep knowing at night that they are protected from every angle because they have great liability protection on each investment. Once again, I'm not saying that everybody should go out and do that because it really has nothing to do with income tax at that point. It has everything to do with asset protection. And so an investment advisor or an attorney would probably be the best person to talk to about what your structure should look like. Once again, just because you read this online about somebody doing this doesn't mean that you should go and copy and paste their scenario. 
Sure, you could choose, you should copy and paste from a macro perspective. If they're investing in real estate and they've made a lot of money that way, then you should invest in real estate and make money that way. But as far as their specific situation tax filing wise, just because they have 10 LLCs for 10 properties doesn't mean that you need 10 LLCs for 10 properties. Very important to understand that when you invest in syndications, you don't always need a, an LLC. But what you probably want to have in place, especially if you have legacy assets, meaning that you have children or you have you know a charitable organization, you want to protect your assets and leave your assets in death to this 501c3, let's say, you want some sort of trust in place a living trust to protect your assets and your investments from probate here in the state of California. So if anything, if you have children, if you have a family, you want your investment into the syndications or other investments to be under your living trust. The LLC isn't always necessary. If you, once again, if you have significant wealth or assets that you've built for yourself, yeah, you might want to diversify or not diversify, but separate the assets from everything that you own personally, just from a risk and liability protection standpoint. It's not always necessary though. I do want to leave you with that. Got it. All right. I've always heard it aligns exactly what I've heard, which is LLCs are for asset protection and corporations are for taxes. They're not intertwined. An LLC will not help you with taxes. It's for liability, for asset protection, right? And then, yes, in a practical sense, we've always heard every LLC or every real estate property needs to be in an LLC. When I was a single family guy and I bought a bunch of single family houses, you know, we put them all after I was like, oh, they need to be in an LLC, stick them all in the LLC in one. But as we've done syndications, you know, they're larger, bigger assets, more risk, more investors, like every property has uh, essentially two LLCs, the building LLC and the, the management LLC. So when investors come in, you know, they're already part of the limited liability protection. But if you want your specific protection on you, you could still create that LLC, still do that, but it's not the tax portion. So the tax portion in our syndications is kind of what we we're talking about earlier, accelerated appreciation, cost segregation, which is the ability to take that those losses and apply them to like the ordinary income for the real estate professionals stuff, right? Correct. So you mentioned S Corp, the same thing for C Corp, right? C Corp and S Corp. What maybe what's the difference? What I don't what's the difference between S Corp and C Corp or how do they use for tax purposes here? Sure. So C corporations in the tax world are known as double taxed entities, meaning that whatever your profit is at the corporation level, as a C corporation, you pay a corporate tax to the federal government and state income tax to the state of California, whatever state you're filing in. And then whatever you've paid yourself as a dividend, you pay tax on that individually. So it's a double taxed scenario. C corporations are normally for larger corporations here in the US, uh, the Ebays, the Amazons, the Starbucks, the Googles of the world, because they have over 100 shareholders and they tend to have tens of millions of dollars in revenue. So C corporations are most of the time used for large corporations. There's really only one scenario where I've seen an individual choose a C-Corp over an S-Corp, and it all specifically relates to medical costs for the shareholder. This one particular client was a single shareholder entity making about two, 300 grand in overall gross commission income. And we ran the numbers as an S-Corporation, we ran the numbers as a C-Corporation. And specifically because this one client had a dependent on his return that had a lot of medical expenses, in-home care expenses, about 60 to 70 grand a year. 
C-corporations allow shareholders to fully deduct medical expenses under the corporation for dependents and for themselves. So this individual, if he had filed as an S-corporation, his medical would have been subject to some pretty significant limitations. Whereas under a C-corporation, it allowed him to dollar for dollar deduct those medical expenses under the C-corporation as unreimbursed or non-reimbursed medical costs. That is one particular scenario that I found to be a unique situation for that client. We don't see that very often. So therefore, the S-corporation, which is not a double-taxed entity, it is actually known as a pass-through entity, meaning that it's like a funnel. You know, when you're filling up oil in a car, you have that little oil funnel and you're pouring the oil into the funnel and it goes into the the little oil chamber. The S-corporation is the funnel in this scenario. You throw all of your income and all of your expenses into the S-corporation. It dials in a net profit and reasonable salary payout. And then whatever the profit is, it kicks through to you personally on your individual tax return. There is actually no federal income tax for an S-corporation. It is literally just passing through the liability to you individually. California has its miscellaneous filing fees, $800 minimum per year, and then 1.5% net revenue tax on every dollar in profit above $53,333. That's profit through the corporation. So those are really not even taxes. Those are just filing fees in the state of California. So once all of that income is dialed in, we do some planning at the corporate level under the S corporation, dial in that bottom line net profit, whatever that number is, passes through to you individually, and you pay income tax on it on your personal tax return, not at the corporate level. So that's really the main difference tax-wise between the C-Corp and the S-Corp. There you go. There you go. There's the official answer. I love it. So Tony, this has been awesome, man. In all the places you've spoken, all the places you know, you've talked about taxes, strategy, real estate, you know, in, and the inter- intersection of them, what's like one of the most common questions? Something we didn't talk about, something you, you wanted to highlight, something you wanted to talk about, I just didn't ask. What was the parting words you should leave here? What's the most common question is that most common is how do I pay less tax? That's, that's <laughs> Listen, oh man, I forgot a simple, straightforward question, man. How do I do that? Tony? Very simple and straightforward. And it's always funny to me that is always because I know the question is coming, right? We dial in all of the plans. We get them to a bottom line. And I yeah. say, well, here, here's where we started. Here's the middle kind of ground. And then here's where we ended. And this is how much tax you saved. Here's your effect, effective tax rate. Here's your marginal bracket. See how much lower your effective tax rate is than the actual bracket that you're filing in. You know, mm-hmm. even after we dial in all those numbers, the clients are like, is there anything else that I can do? And it really all depends because yes, in some cases, listen, my whole life as an investor, as a self-employed business owner, my spouse is a self-employed business owner. I've always known, and I've lived by the book on this, you got to pay to play, right? There are other strategies that you can utilize but it may cost you out of pocket to play those games. You know, cost segregation, you have to find a third-party vendor to do the cost seg analysis to accelerate depreciation. We got to dial in those numbers. Might cost you five or six grand to save 50, 60, 70 plus thousand dollars in tax. Pay the five grand. Let's make the election. Let's save you 70 grand in tax. And that's something that doesn't have to happen in the current year. That's something that can happen in the following year, carried back to the previous year. So there's always extra things that you can do. But in some scenarios, once we've dialed in the 401, K contributions, profit sharing plan contributions, the corporate asset purchases, accelerated depreciation on vehicles, the in-home office rent back. So if you're a corporation, you could pay yourself rent to rent out space inside of your home, then start accelerating depreciation on your primary residence office space, plus an allocation of utilities, mortgage interest, property taxes. Once we've dialed in all of those games, and I've literally dug into the deep parts of my brain to figure these strategies out, 
yes, there is always something else that you can do, but it might not be in your wheelhouse just, or not in your wheelhouse, in your, oh gosh, what am I trying to say? It might not be your move right now. It's something that we could definitely dial in. And if it makes sense financially, once again, it's got to make sense from a financial perspective, it makes sense to do it. We got to figure out how much more it's going to save you than what it's going to cost you. Defined benefit plans, donor advised funds, conservation easements, cost segregation elections, you know, accelerated bonus depreciation on vehicle purchases. You have to go out and you actually have to spend money in your business. I call it reinvesting back into infrastructure. And the three rules in business I was taught at Chapman University in my business 101 course is number one, always pay your employees. Because your employees, they'll do amazing things for you if you just pay them, right? Number two, (laughs) reinvest your profits back into infrastructure. And number three, literally verbatim right out of my business 101 teacher's mouth, number three, pay as little tax as possible by exercising rule number two. Well, rule number two is reinvest profit back in infrastructure. Well, the government actually allows you to pay less tax if you reinvest your profit back into your own business. Why the heck wouldn't you? So we got to dial in that plan. What is a reasonable amount to reinvest back into your business? What is possible, financially speaking, for you You know, to reinvest back in your business while retaining some profit over here for savings? And does that make sense financially? So that one question, is there anything else that I could do? And when we dive into those conversations, some people choose to move forward with that, but they like having the options. And that's a yeah. big part of being a tax advisor. You got to lay out all the options and make sure that you have all the right tools at your disposal to use in case you need those tools. doesn't have to happen now, but this could be a conversation every single year that you have. And when it makes sense, you pull the trigger on it and you go ahead and elect those strategies or you implement those strategies. Got to be consistently planning, baby. Consistently planning. Look at that. Leads back. I love it, man. Thank you so much. Tony, you've been an amazing expert, man. Thank you for sharing some of your wisdom. Who do you want to reach out to you? Who should contact you? And where do they go? Is it a website, an email? And whatever you put out there, we're just going to put in the show notes. We'll capture it right now. Sure. I mean, the easiest way to get in contact with us is probably just to call our office. We do offer free 30-minute consultations. A big part of the enrolled agent preparation world is that in order for us to do business with our clients, they have to engage in our services. That term is actually specified as engaging in services under Circular 230. It's a rule book that us tax preparers have to follow, us enrolled agents. We hold federal license with the government, so Circular 230 is our Bible in our world. So there's a couple ways you can get in contact with us. You can call our office directly at 818-242-4888. And I'm the only one that does public speaking for our firm. So when you say you heard this crazy tax guy on a webinar, they know who you're talking about. And you say, he said that you offer free consultations and then they'll kick you over to our marketing department. They'll get you all set up with a free consultation with any one of our senior advisors. And what you think you can accomplish in 30 minutes, you might not think that that's a lot of time. Test us. I guarantee you what will blow your mind what we can accomplish in that short 25 to 30 minute phone call and figure out if if this is a good relationship to have. If you're not quite involved in business or real estate investing, it might not be the right time to join our, our firm. I'm not turning down business by any means. But we, as tax advisors, we can really help the business owners and the real estate investors more than anybody else because they already have the shelters in place and we could talk about strategies to accelerate deductions and save money. But if you're just getting into that world, we can also advise you on how to set yourself up financially to catapult you into a better qualifying scenario. We can prepare preliminary returns to send to lenders so that you can pre-qualify for certain lending qualifications. So we can assist on that end too. So I'm not, once again, I'm not turning down business. I'm just saying that 
it might not be the right time to join our team, but we can absolutely, we're very upfront with our clients. We don't like to overpromise and underdeliver. If anything, very much underpromise and overdeliver at the end of the day. So calling us, calling your office directly, you can visit our website, roberthalltaxes.com. There's a lot of great free resources on our website, or you can text, and I'll say this, and you can include it in the notes here. You can text Robert Hall to the number 72,000. So if you text 72000, the number 72000, you text the word Robert Hall, you'll automatically get a kickback text message that allows you to submit for a free 30-minute consultation. And then if you want to just email me directly, I can forward it to the necessary departments. You can email my name, Tony Watson. So T-O-N-Y-W-A-T-S-O-N at roberthalltaxes.com. So Tony Watson at roberthalltaxes.com. And I can get you connected with the department to set you up with that free consult. There it is, Mr. Tony Watson. Tony, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Really appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, it's a great, great show, man. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. All right. For everyone else, we'll see you on the next show. Again, my name is Abel Pacheco. We're investing in San Antonio, Texas, and some of the surrounding areas. So if you're interested in deploying some of these strategies by putting your own investment dollars out there, let us know. www.5talents.capital. That's five, the number five, talents.capital. Man, ping us, ping us, set up some time. We'll look forward to talking to you. See if we can uh, get some of those dollars working. Talk to you soon. Thanks again, Tony. See ya. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Five Talents Podcast with myself, your host, Abel Pacheco. We really appreciate you liking, following, subscribing, and leaving all the written reviews for the Five Talents Podcast. Each week, we're going to continue to bring interviews with private equity folks, VCs, advisors, financial planners, strategists, tax strategists, and other stewards of capital, many of which advise the wealthiest 1% on what to do with their money. So we appreciate you joining. Also, if you want to be notified of monthly future events we're hosting or attending, and if you want exclusive access to the same investment opportunities that have largely been reserved for the wealthiest 1%, many of which you've rarely ever heard about, go now to our website, watch our wealth building case study, and register to be added to our investment club. We're going to send you future opportunities, and you'll be able to watch all the moves that we made firsthand. Your investment journey is waiting for you to take the next step. So what is the next step? Go to www.5talents.capital. That's 5talents.capital and register today. Thank you again. We can't wait to bring you the next show. And thank you for liking and subscribing.